Act 5, Scene 4. Torches light the tents of thousands, but beside the river, where we are centered, is but one lone tent, that of Faustus, who oversees the trip to paradise, as he always wanted to do. All action occurs beside the river, but dominates the sound of speech by its rushing noise. In the Bible's legend, it is conveyed as sacred, ordinal geography is mapped, though incomprehensibly impossible. Four rivers run, right-angled, single-sourced, from out of central Eden, from whence the waters of creation must originate. The Euphrates and the Nile, the Ganges, and what we call the Danube today. The Ganges, where Faustus stood, rose beyond falls and cliffs at heights that no man ever climbed or dared. Or, so Don Dames told them, and showed them with a map which was unrolled before them, a vellum record of ancient men who had dwelt here unremembered, but whose temples in ruins abounded once now canopied in forests, obscured by tangled liana, suffocated in fragrant flowers, moss, and decay, revealing dead, stone, forgotten gods in broken friezes, or fallen from rotten pedestals, rotting in the soil, digesting them in undergrowth, revealing runes as those this map revealed, a writ in ornamental script, glyphs of animals, faces in its letters, which Don Names claimed he could divine. But Faustus was suspicious, and he thought Don Dames had invented what he had read. First, he offered salutary warnings and advice, how seekers should not seek, how virtue does not absolve. It's what is told to everyone who wants what he can't obtain. Faustus received it warily. Alexander took it literally. It was his way to seize belief, while Faustus' way to doubt instead. Then Dundame's pointing explained how this map, if turned in rightful symmetry to the frame of certain setting stars, on the right occasion of the right succession of the moon, should align itself to where the bearer stood and show before him paradise. 
Boats were made at Alexander's express instructions, resembling sea-plowing ships, to cleave harsh waves and break the crashing turbulence they should expect. Sixty-six men in four such ships would go with him, Alexander at the headmost, and Faustus in the last. Provisions were collected, supplies for harbinger and habitation, for drought or monsoon, for peril, plague, or siege. Propitious and advised, they must abide the moon, the rightful symmetry of stars should appear, and the map steer the bearer to what is hidden, both traveler and companion. A travel in time to a place unknown, until one and one-half moons are done, and then, as foretold, a moon shines onto a gate or portal which rightly opens. So passing the fabled forty days and forty nights, as in the rhythmic biblical phrase, a voyage perfected on its perfect span. this moment Porus attacked, to rout the Greeks and Macedonian elites alike. And even those in Alexander's camp of cousins rebelled, wearied of this war, which was unending. A decade passed in constant conquest, youth spent. They wanted to go home. They'd had enough of death. They'd won more treasure than hoarders want or thieves covet. Discontent. Some refused to fight. Many of them deserted. One some small cabal, the legends intimate, secretly plotted to unseat Alexander, or else to murder this one whose slakeless thirsts, whose craving and ambitions anguished in the ignominy of such defeat. It gopped like death itself before him, unacceptable. Alexander raved. He raged on Porus' victory. He angrily demanded a brutal vengeance. Though all his soldiers, the whole with the wounded, 
begged him to retreat, he was resolute, and ordered them to attack Porus. Without stratagem or purpose, the assault was rash and a sorrowful defiance, wanting without hope like a widow's weep. Like a child's hand lifted to stop a wind that surrounds him. Without a passion to kill, the will to war is weak. Against their walls they broke, against their opposing force, and stopped. They froze, looked back, to see how many companions had fallen, or dismayed, or failing, or running away. Alexander urged them, shouting, and he himself had leapt atop the enemy's bastion stone wall, attacking it alone. His shield thrown across his back, he heaved himself into their camp. It was folly, but it was meant to incite his men to rally. But surrounded, nearly slain, the few who braved to follow him rescued him, and withdrew him, lame, and wounded by a poisoned arrow. Feverish with infection and wounded, confined to bed, he sued for peace. His army quit, his mortality taunted. As history is told, as Faustus himself told it, Porus was not the victor but had surrendered, and Alexander granted him his own domain as liege to him. Like most that's told for history, what's told is schemed. Look for the conceits. Ask always who's writing, for whom, and why. The end of Alexander's world had come. He who had sought the world's end had met his own end first, it seemed. Yet one last conquest should pend, the assault of paradise, taking Eden. And when that propitious moment came, when no moon shone and it was time to launch his ship and master his fate, Alexander failed, sick, and afflicted still by his unhealing wound, and must delay. Faustus went to Dondames for himself, to ask if he may be given a boat of theirs. He should go alone. Knowing Alexander's destiny, he must not forsake his own. Alexander, hearing this, contrived to grant him half the fleet, and half his crewmen, provided that his Macedonian lieutenant should lead, and Faustus follow his command. And they should stop when paradise is found, and abide his repair and wait for his return. Faustus felt implied mistrust by this demand, insistence that he must not undertake what Alexander would forsake. He remembered the favor of Dandem's that he should be the chosen one by name, not Alexander, who regarded him jealously, or it had seemed. And so he came to address his friend, 
to confront and to explain, to recall to mind the coincidence of the fateful sorcery which had summoned dead Alexander, and which consequenced Faustus to appear to be his ironic historian, while actually the unlikely native of another century. But Alexander kept him outside his tent, detained and then neglected, and then was sent his final word. He did not want to speak with him. The sky was empty. Faustus turned.